0: Good afternoon. This is Bill Gross, the extracom And this is our Thursday afternoon, 4pm third time, 7pm Eastern time, Probate Weekly, probateweekly.com. Where we get together and talk about all things probate real estate. It's a place for investors, wholesalers, agents, families, attorneys, vendors to get together to learn more, share information, share leads, help each other build our businesses. Uh, and we do this every Thursday, four o'clock, you can register and participate on the live Zoom at probateweekly.com, and just register there if you want to, or if you're watching on the live stream on either YouTube or Facebook, you can go there. And if you ask questions there, post them; they'll show up on my, on my screen here. I'll be able to respond as well. So I'd love to have you participate. Um, we do this every week. We're going to do it every week through the rest of the year. We have since, uh, really, since COVID started. And um, really excited. Sometimes we, I do some content myself. Sometimes we bring in a vendor. I'm really excited today bring in somebody who was referred to me by really one of my I say mentors, but a guy that I've watched and learned from quite a bit, um, John Kasman recommended uh, this person, Sharon, uh, as somebody who was an expert in probate from an investor's point of view and could teach us a little bit about how to be more effective and more successful in our investments. So please uh, welcome Sharon Vornholt from Louisville, Kentucky. Sharon,
1: how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Bill.
0: My pleasure. Uh, I love having you on because you just sound so classy. You know, I'm in Los Angeles. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody Every, that?
1: Um, people mis- usually say you sound really Southern.
0: <laughs> well, I know, but to, in California, it sounds classy to us. We're so <laughs> easily impressed. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about um, a little background where you grew up and how you got into real estate.
1: Well, I was uh, born here in Louisville and I've always lived here. So I've always invested right in this area. Um, my dad was a contractor when I was growing up. I would tell people I was the oldest of four children, so by default, I got to tag along with him. I was the most well-behaved. And uh, so that's really where my my love of property started. But fast forward to um, 1991, I had a, a business, and uh, it was a real estate-related business, and an agent walked in and said, do you wanna go to a RIA meeting, agent investor? And I said, what's a RIA meeting? And so I ended up going that week to the real estate investors meeting. And that was the first time I knew that you could could be involved in real estate without being a realtor, which I I wasn't interested in doing. So I invested part-time from 1998 until 2008, and which time I closed the other business. So we all know what happened around 2007, 2008, the market crashed. So it was the best of times and the worst of times. The whole world was on sale at that time, but it was a terrible time to be a rehabber, which was what my main strategy that I was doing at that time. So I pivoted and overnight, I just became a wholesaler. And about that same time was when I discovered probates and I found that it was the perfect spot for me to work in. I always loved off-market deals. That was, uh, my strengths were in marketing. So it was a perfect fit for me to, um, to that. I just continued to source deals and finding probates, which are a never ending stream of leads. It, it was something that I just grew to love. I love helping those people. So I set about to learn the process because there was really no one doing it. Certainly not in my area and not really across the country at that time, because that was in 2008. Since that time, you know, I created a course to help other people not go through what I went through. But it's it's my absolute most profitable niche to work in uh, probates, hands down. Nice.
0: So now you primarily actually you're not an agent. So you're an investor Mm -hmm. exclusively, Mm -hmm. as well as Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur with some other business. And you also do some coaching in the probate space for investors. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about coaching how did you get into that and what's that look like
1: well it was it was it was really kind of an organic process In most people that are investors have started with some of the online sites like bigger pockets and those sites where you just get asked a lot of questions probably like you do from agents so along the way I found there weren't enough hours in the day to invest to um, I had a, have a blog, I have a podcast. So it was a matter of figuring out a way to help more people like you're doing here with this call. It's a one to many model. Sometimes it's a one to one model. But I found that I really loved the teaching aspect of it, which was odd, because I had never ever considered being a teacher or a coach, or you certainly had been a mentor. But in a formal coaching program, it was not something I'd ever really considered, but something that I really love doing, which is the, the whole teaching, training, coaching aspect of it.
0: So let's back up a little bit, uh, just to cover what you did, you talked about your podcast, tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that, we're sharing the screen where people can find it uh, on Apple and other podcast
1: places. you know, it's uh, Bill, I like to say, I'm kind of the person that jumps out of the plane and built the parachute on the way down and (laughs) so so I did that with the blog in 2010 and then in 2013 I thought well it sounds kind of cool to have a podcast I really had no idea what I was doing though uh, as far as you know how to do a podcast and I was really before people even had courses on how to launch a podcast so I just I just did what I was doing. And that is I started uh, just teaching some of the things I learned. And then I started having people on my show like you doing interviews, which I found to be hugely um, important to my business growth, because, you know, things I don't know, John Kasman knows things that I don't know, maybe you don't know, we all learn from each other. And that was the magic of the podcast, I would say, from a business perspective. If that is something that is of any interest to you, you will grow your network across the country and in some cases, internationally with a podcast if that's some if you like talking for some people, it's a safer venue than than video. Okay, because you know, women, you're like, Okay, my hair looks bad today, whatever it is, but you can hide behind the mic and still still do your thing, so to speak.
0: Well, I have a face for radio. I should be in radio, for the <laughs> video, but I just like doing video too much. So, really, you're just talking about sharing your vision, sharing your principles, mm-hmm. your systems, and reaching out. And I'll tell you, I, with, um, I'm building a national real estate team underneath my business, and I'm really pushing all my agents to extend themselves, going from email to now adding video to it, and then trying to add a weekly program and one of my team members had great results with multifamily and found a really great investment the other day as a result so the more you put yourself out there the more likely you are to find something that works for you so let's talk about real estate investors i know that your program and we'll get to it in a little more detail is more for established you know people who are who are um, you know making some money and committed to it but let's talk about people get started i'm sure like me you see people who want to start think about starting talk about starting Getting ready to start, making less to start, and don't quite. What do you mm-hmm. see as the key that gets somebody from say zero to step one in their real estate investing career?
1: I think you have to decide. I think um I think it was Wayne Dyer said it to decide is to uh, push away all the objections and just go all in on it. And I think you have to commit. You have to have a certain amount of learning. I think that's very valuable. but at some point you have to just pull the plug and do your first deal. I think that's the secret. Once you've done a deal or two, and you know, you've, you've maybe negotiated the deal, you've written a contract and you know, the basics of how the deal works. You can, you know what to do when you go to closing, then you can think about probates, but probates work for agents and for investors. Now of all the probates that come out, um, here in louisville you know we're, i'm in a smaller metropolitan area like million-ish population we would get 80 to 120 a month if if you're in chicago probably la too i know for certain in chicago there are 800 probates a month mm. literally every single month so if someone wants to transition to that they need a little bit of knowledge it's not for the brand new beginner i think that has never done a deal. That's my opinion because it is a little bit hard. You know, there's a little bit more to it. Don't don't you agree Bill? I think, I think there's a little bit more to it.
0: I don't think I agree with you. I don't think that a newer investor should target probate as a lead gen mm-hmm. source. I do think yeah. that a newer investor should learn a little, enough of probate to find a trusted partner to bring those deals yeah. to. To monetize them and maybe close a deal that's involved with probate so you don't give up on it just because it's
1: involved with probate. yeah that's a great idea and i think in my area we've always partnered with somebody more experienced or in some cases you are the more experienced and you partner with someone with less experience but that's a great way to think about it probably at least 80 percent of all the probates will be listed on the mls and, and certainly in this type of a market that leaves a, a nice chunk for investors 20, 25%. But for agents, gosh, it is an absolute gold mine. I mean, to to be an agent that specializes in probates, like you do is a rare thing. Really rare. Well, it's not that rare. I wish it was more Well, rare. in my area, in my area is really rare. So uh-huh. if you take how much if you take all the agents, though, in, in the area that you work in, probably that the percentage is small if you take the total population of agents.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of agents. So a small amount of anything is a lot.
1: <laughs> it's still business, A lot of people,
0: It's a lot to well, people.
1: That's where branding comes in. So it doesn't matter if you're an agent or you are an investor. I say this a lot. Marketing is how you get deals. But branding is why they choose you. So you know about branding, you're doing the show, you've got these folks that follow you. I know about branding, and I have to tell you, it's the absolute secret sauce to any business. It doesn't matter whether you're an investor or you could be a, a doctor. Getting people to choose you over all the other people out there is not that hard once you know the basic branding. Uh, you know, basic branding because your so-called competitors, in most cases, are doing absolutely nothing to get branded. They're going out there doing a deal or two. They're not doing this show like this. They're not doing a podcast. Um, I always tell people, you don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to have a blog. Everybody can create video and put it up on YouTube. Then take that video and share it on Facebook, share it on LinkedIn. That is probably, video is definitely the fastest way to build your brand and to get known on the planet. And everybody can do that today with a, you know, with their cell phone, you can get a good quality video, you can do a property walkthrough, there's, a, there are just a million things you can do to educate other people on how to be better at what they do, how to how to do their be a better business person how to showing tips, gosh, there's just that there's just a million ideas for video.
0: One of the best videos I ever did was I had a moving company moving my clients junk out. It was really junk more than moving. But I just shot the video of the team working on it and me there and mm-hmm. people were interested in <clears throat> got all kinds of activity in action. and action. I said to myself, you know, this video thing is real. Like it's real. <laughs> and I'm just me. Imagine if I was some young, good looking guy back when I was young, maybe. But uh, You know, it it doesn't matter. People, if they're interested in real estate or they're interested in moving houses or junk out services, probate or investment, they're interested in that content. They're going to seek you out and try to find a way to interact
1: with you. People love day in the life type of videos. Uh, Like uh, you have to be careful about showing addresses and personal things, but they love, in the case of an investor that pulls up in front of a house, whips out his camera and says, Look at this beauty. It's a big hot mess. It's distressed. The The grass is two feet tall. And then they do this every you know they drive for dollars or whatever, and they post five or 10 of these over time. Guess what before long you are known as the hottest real estate investor in your area. Same thing is true for agents. Just post something that you a day in the life of what you do. And it's it's pure gold.
0: Well, and I like the opposite. There's so many realtors who do videos of really pretty houses. Mm-hmm. That's just not my world, you know. I don't yeah. <laughs> yes. cookies in the oven, and I don't put out potpourri. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, 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 carry a weapon. I make sure I'm safe. <laughs> I go at, night, at daytime only. And you know, we mm-hmm. shoot video of that. People go, "Wow, you know, I have a problem like that. Maybe he can help me, or
1: who can I use?" Mm-hmm. Exactly, okay. exactly. They, they want to know that they're just like you, or exactly. that you're just like them. So, if it's an ugly house, if you do something a special way, one of my most popular uh, blog post that I did was safety tips for uh, women, really safety tips for anyone when looking at property. And when I did that 10 years ago, it wasn't nearly as well as dangerous, I don't think as it is today. But there are certain things that anyone can do, but especially women who tend to have handbags and things to never have never have your hands holding anything, always put your car keys in your pocket, or your jacket. Don't keep them in your purse in case you have to make a fast escape. But it came down to even wearing women. I know an agent sometimes get really dressed up and have on heels and things. For me, I always think danger, danger. You need to be able to get get away if you need to get away. So practical tips. What you know something that someone else is interested in knowing. Let's
0: give some good tips. So <clears throat> talk a bit about you know investors who are professional. I really don't know a lot about the business. I have a lot of investors who are clients and they buy properties. Um, I mean, I guess I do know a little bit about it, but I don't know how they got (laughs) to where they are. So how does somebody get from I'm buying a house from here and there and I'm flipping making some money? How do they move from that to becoming a business?
1: Well, you have to have have help. Now that might look like a a VA or two. It certainly looks um, like systems. You have to have systems for doing things. Now at the very basic, I would say you have a marketing plan and then you figure out how you're going to implement that. I'm a big calendar person. So for instance, you would uh, systematize your direct mail. If you're not, if you don't like talking to sellers, you might have a partner or someone that talks to sellers, but each thing that is a repeatable task you do, you make a, a system or have a process for doing it. And then you have to have help to scale. Now there is an investor in Nashville who does 185 to 200, somewhat 200 wholesale deals a year. This guy has a million dollar payroll. That's not my dream. My dream was a lifestyle business with less but more profitable deals. So everybody's dream is different. And I I would say, first of all, figure out what you want your business to look like. Do you want to do, Fifty transactions a year. You want to do twenty, or you want to do a hundred? Well, if if you're the guy like Bill wants to do two, three hundred, it's unlikely that Bill by himself is going to be able to do two or three hundred transactions. He's got a team. He he spoke to that. Your team could be as simple as a part time person. It could be a couple of VAs. But look at everything that you do, and I this exercise is really valuable for everyone. Make a list of everything that you do. And then start to separate those things out into things you're good at things. You really should be doing that, uh, that, that's a are skills for you. What are the things you hate doing? For me, it's like bookkeeping. So I hired my daughter, you know, I can do it. I'm good at it, but I absolutely hate the, that part of the business, but figure out, you know, some people don't like marketing. There's an answer for that. You have to generate leads, but figure out first what you want your business to look like. Then, if you want to do 100 deals a year, how am I going to get there? That's going to be marketing. Then you would say, okay, who's going to answer the phone? Who's going to look at all these properties? So it might be a partner deal, it might, might be an employee type of situation, but you have to, I think you have to figure out what you want before you figure out how to get it, yeah, I agree. if that makes sense. <laughs> No,
0: I agree 100%. I think I sat out <clears throat> three years ago and I wrote out a five-year plan uh, mm-hmm. If finishing the third year this month, um, but I have a very clear picture of what it looks like
1: at the end mm-hmm. of that year five,
0: and I know what I need to do next year and the year after those goals, and I, and I break it down to a quarter. You're 100% right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't think, think I could do 185 deals. or would want to have the staff and all the overhead. I did mm-hmm. 42 transactions last year. Uh, and, and i didn't i didn't really feel like i was working that hard to be honest it was kind of mm-hmm. fun because i do delegate quite a bit i think you're right the delegation we have more and i know you've been doing uh teaching and coaching entrepreneurship for a while um it just seems like because of covid and with technology there's more tools for delegation than mm-hmm. ever in my career in real estate uh, i don't go to any properties i don't really see too many clients mm-hmm. i'm selling a bunch of houses is that is that is that what you see with the clients that you coach is that what you see in your
1: business well i think yes i'm always uh, trying to get them to um take themselves out of the business so i have a friend who's uh, a, an investor and he told me probably 10 years ago it's something i've never forgotten he said your goal should be to take yourself out of your business the the day to day of your business of you being the doer except for the things that make you the that where you are the face of the business like this meeting where bill has this meeting or when i'd do a podcast something like that or you like carol makes a video those things you have to do yourself but there are some tools and i think that the when you look at everything that has to get done and you you start to set about goals and what you want your business to look like one of the most valuable tools that i ever found was the book called the 12-week year yeah That's where you take all your goals and you break them down into quarters, then you break them down into weeks. Because let's face it, those goals that you've got in January, you should have no more than three or four big goals to begin with. But those goals will not get done unless you say, I'm gonna do this one in this period and this one, and then break it down and figure out how to do it. The other book, this that's the book by Brian Moran. The other book that has really changed the way I think about things and is gonna going to kind of be my Bible for next year as I continue to get rid of things myself is a book called who not how. Yep. So um, I would challenge everybody, we all do things in our business that we shouldn't be doing. We, we all do it. And the next time you need are tempted to try to figure out how to do something, go on to Upwork or one of the outsourcing sites and find a how or find a who i mean it just it it will change your life so and i'm guilty of that but probably the first book that i read that changed my thinking about all of that was you're probably familiar with a guy named mike mikhailowitz he wrote mm-hmm. prophet first yep. he also wrote a great book called clockwork clockwork is kind of the same principle in that yeah, that one it it he talks about finding out your what your zone of genius is and do that, and then let somebody else do all of the other things. And he talks about how much easier your life is, and how much happier you'll be when you're not stuck in the weeds doing things that you're not good at, you don't like doing and you're not the best choice for.
0: Awesome. Great insight. I think, um, you know, I've tried to get my business to where I do content work, talking to Mm -hmm. leverage talking to people. Mm -hmm. i get people call me by appointment who want to talk to me Um, and pretty much everything else i try to get somebody else to do and i have to be careful because you know you can't do that in your life right you can't do that with your wife or your spouse or your child (laughs) because the goal there is to interact with them it's not really Mm -hmm. about the work it's about the interaction Um, and and even with clients sometimes you'd be careful that we don't want to delegate out so we don't interact with clients because our goal With the certain clients is to build a relationship with them. So you'd be a little careful mm-hmm. about that and not I, I would say for years I overdid it. I learned how to, how to do contracts while ever meeting clients and I wondered why I didn't get the repeat business and referrals I wanted. Mm-hmm. Well if you never meet me, you're not going you're not gonna love me and
1: you're not gonna- I, I think in Clockwork they talk about the as like the QB function. I always think of the acronym Queen B. So you figured out what are the activities that you and you alone should do. And I and I know what they are for me, and I'm still pulling myself out of the weeds. Sometimes I'll think, well, I could that would be fun to do that, and I'm going, wait a minute, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop! <laughs> <laughs> but it's really not. It's really not. It's who knew it was so hard to give away work, right, Bill?
0: It can be sometimes, and it's fun, sometimes I I can spend more time giving away work than just mm-hmm. doing it. I've, I caught myself. I changed uh, accountants and bookkeepers. Of, uh, Few months ago and so now we're getting ready for the end of the year and new bookkeepers that have you know signed certain things to do and some of those things i don't have delegated because they're personal financial things i don't have controlled and i'm trying to delegate i'm trying to delegate, delegate i realized well hold on i could finish this job and like i know um what's his name um, I'm blank on, um there's a there's a productivity expert who um Says if you can do it two minutes, just do it. Don't even bother delegating it because it's faster to get done. And I'm saying it's maybe it's a five minute job, and I'm spending thirty minutes trying to delegate it. Might as well just finish in five minutes. It's a one. Well,
1: yeah, and I agree with that. But here's where I would say you can change that up and turn it into a process or system. I work with virtual assistants, and I will tell you, my virtual assistant that helps me with my podcast, she can do all of that stuff way faster than me. So. There are different levels of virtual assistant, she is what I would call a higher level virtual assistant, I pay her very well for what she does. But I just go like you said, Bill, I, I just go here, Carol, here, here it is. Now I have a, uh, some lower level of virtual assistants. And so that I wouldn't have to do that. What you just said, train them each time I create a training packet for them. I tell them what the overview of the job is like, uh, One of the first things I outsourced back when we used to do this was Craigslist ads. So I first had to tell them some what was Craigslist. So here's the URL and it's Craigslist Louisville. So I gave them the overview of the job and then I broke it down. And I said, these are the steps. And then I made a video. Always make a video screenshot everything you're doing. Now, when they forget, they're not going to call me. They're going to go back and look at the training materials. If this VA leaves tomorrow or next week or next year, Guess what? I just refer them to the training materials. Nice. Nice. So you sidestep that. Nice.
0: So I know you you uh, are an entrepreneur and you've done uh, several different businesses and you move that into a kind of a higher level uh, real estate investing and it's probate investing simplified.com. Tell us a little bit about the coaching program. Again, it's not for brand new investors, uh, I think, the way we described it tell me a little bit about your program and who might be an appropriate candidate for to work with you as a mentor or as a student?
1: Well, as I said before, and this is this is just a fact of life that people pass away every month. So your goal with probates is to build a big list and help these people as they go through the process. So the course is designed, it's a self study course, where we do calls, we do calls along the way. And it's very, by design, it's laid out so that you get one module a week. I don't want you to rush through it. I want people to learn the process, to learn a little bit of the terminology, because my goal and my promise is that if you do this and you go through the course, you follow along, takes maybe an hour or so a week, maybe a little bit longer on some weeks. You will be a probate investing expert at the end of 6 weeks. Now it doesn't matter if you're an agent or an investor, because I include the marketing materials in there. The mail merge ready templated letters, so that you would get your list where you get your list in California. You know all about that, and then you simply do uh, have someone you don't do it. You have the one of the mail houses do the mail merge uh, for the letters. There's a little bit different message for agents, of course, because they want to list the house and investors looking to buy the house, but the basic letters are the same. But in the course, I I point out you need things like how to market to these people. We talk about their mindset, your mindset as an investor that might hold you back. And I believe very firmly that people say, well, you don't need to know any of the terminology or anything, I disagree, because if you're going to show up as the expert, and they ask you what what exactly is this, you need to be able to tell them an answer. And if you don't know the answer, and I've never really had that happen, because they only the sellers only have a limited amount of knowledge to begin with. But if you don't know the answer, just like any other time, you just say, I don't know uh, the answer, but I'll get back to you. So if they learn the process, they learn how to get the leads in their area, they learn a little bit of the terminology, how to work with probate attorneys, then the marketing process. And, and part of it is again, getting out of your own getting out of your own way, you know, getting over the fact that you think it's creepy, because understand that this is a legal process. It's something that is required by law for them to do if this house is in probate. And you are helping them take this enormous job off their plate so that they can move on with their life. And that really is the truth. You they are so happy that you're there to help them. You just need to know the right way to go about it.
0: You know, almost anytime I do a full length interview on probate, people ask questions I get asked about is it creepy or do people Mm -hmm. yell at you? And and the answer is, I've never really had that happen. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that I listen carefully. And if I hear some hesitation, I'll move on. I don't push myself on them, I'm available for them. But I've never had anybody say to me, oh, my gosh, you're trolling me. My father died. Why are you evading my privacy? I've never had that happen before because they filed a probate. They filled out legal papers and put it with a court and paid some money and it ran an ad to go along with it. They're, they're, they're raising their hands, saying they're in a process to sell a house. And my job is to help them sell the house. I'll try to get them top dollar. And they may not choose me, but mm-hmm. I think most people appreciate it. From an investor point of view um, you're getting the leads as well when they're filing probate do you find that to be an issue that people complain about um your your you know ambulance chasing or uh, corner van chasing or
1: I can tell you that in um I guess it's 11 years now so more than a decade i've had two complaints and i was uh, they where they said where did you get my information and why are you contacting me and i explained it just the way you, said it you know it's public record you know we our intent is not to upset you but rather to be a resource for you and let Mm -hmm. me tell you how how many people you know we we've helped a lot of people that inherit a house that they don't want maybe it needs a ton of work and they can't afford to do it maybe they can't afford the utilities on two houses or whatever it is but those two people out of all those hundreds and hundreds of people once you tell them why you're doing what you do, they they were perfectly fine with it. And so I know it's people think it's going to be a huge problem, but it's really not. People are much more educated, much more savvy today, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it's where you like you said, it's where you come from. you know, I'm not ambulance chasing. If they don't mm-hmm. need my help, I'll move on. There are right. plenty of people who do, right um, but I think that um, if you're chasing people, without the intention of helping, but your intention is to steal their property and take advantage of them in a moment of grief. Yeah, some people are going to push back on you. You have to to check your own motivations and and check your purposes.
1: Well, and you can have both you can make, um, as I said, probates and I know investors all over the country that don't even specialize in probates, but they'll tell you that hands down for an investor probates are their most profitable deals. Because often the big things have been done in the house—the roof, the windows, the uh, furnace, you know, AC unit. That stuff will be done. It's just really outdated. Mm. So the house uh, needs cosmetically everything. But um, I don't—I don't know. I, from my perspective, I've always come from a place of service. How can I be of service to you? And I honestly don't get any pushback on it. They, they're like I said, they're very happy, and I, I can truthfully say I've gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other type of closing.
0: I would agree. I would agree. yeah Okay, so we have a qu- interesting question here from Peter Mark on our fa- on our YouTube live, uh, and if you're watching this live stream on YouTube or Facebook, you put your questions up and we can ask them as well as show them. So Peter asks us, he says, I picked up a listing last week where at the end of the consult, I was asked. Does a double murder and suicide make a difference? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to probate, uh, Peter. Yeah. That's new to you.
1: <laughs> I think. I think in my area and probably yours, I think it's a disclosure issue for an, on the agent's part. But listen, there is a buyer out there for every deal.
0: Yeah, no question. I, you know, I had a listing last year. It was fire damaged. It was a really hot area. Mm-hmm. Um, Park up on the hill, view to the South Bay, to fantastic property. Except for it's halfway burned. Unfortunately, <laughs> the family, um, three family members, died in the fire. I think the wife and, mm-hmm. and the two kids, if I remember right, it was in the newspaper. So if you Googled the property, unfortunately, it came up. And you know, obviously, it's very sad, very grisly. There are people who will not buy the property because of that. I can appreciate that, but there are people who do, and there's a an investor who bought it actually and by the time he finishes fixing it up he's outside of the statutory requirement of three years to disclose he feels like he doesn't want to have to disclose it which that's his prerogative i'm not here to tell him what mm-hmm. to do he bought the property from my my client so he can do what he wants with it but i will say that in probate you get some wild stuff right you get yeah some cases and it makes it interesting i've been in the business for quite a while and um uh, it keeps it interesting i think.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I think people get hung up on having the conversations. I think they they're thinking I'm going to have to go in the house and talk about death. Well, that's not it. It is never mentioned except in the reference of um, I'd like to talk about conversation starters where you would go in the house and maybe if you know their dad passed away, you would say, oh, and there's golf clubs you would say, Oh, it was your dad, the golfer. And then they'll start talking about Yeah, my dad did this or was your mom, the cook, you see cookbooks. So you you use a conversation starter, you listen to them tell their story, they've always got a story, they're anxious to tell you about the person. But the actual death is and the manner of death, unless it's something tragic. It's never discussed. Once you get past that, then you'll you just instinctively know when the time comes and you say, you know, how about would you like to show me around the house, then it just moves on, just like any other list, any other deal, whether it's a listing or whether it's a real estate investing deal. You just have to change your mindset around the situation and understand where they're coming from. And that is really the truth of the matter.
0: I also found a convenient way to ask the question is to get a copy of the death certificate because we we'll have the cause of death on the forum where they pass and how they pass mm-hmm. and sometimes you can avoid asking the question and you can use that for your disclosure as well. So if you're uncomfortable discussing it, that's a little trick I learned along the way, but you're mm-hmm. right. So it's, it's where you come from is how you how mm-hmm. you treat people. And, you know, I look at this as a chance for me to be of service to people even more. So mm-hmm. Peter mentions, he says that the state, um, it depends on the state as far as disclosure, he's in Colorado. So he doesn't have to disclose. Mm-hmm. is considered a stigmatized property. Okay, every state's a little different. In California, we'd have to disclose mm-hmm. a death in the property within three years. Um, and there are people who, there are investors who buy property where people die and were murdered specifically within three years that are disclosed so they can bring it back to market without having disclosed it. Mm-hmm. And they find that they can mm-hmm. make some money as a result of that, that, that differential. So there's different businesses here. Um, so okay, so we talked about your coaching program a little bit. Hey, for those of you on the call today, if you're on live on the Zoom, if you're going to unmute and ask a question. Feel free, or you want to throw in the chat box. If you're watching on the live stream, either YouTube or Facebook, if you can put a question there or comment there, we'll show that live as well as ask. But here's a chance to ask, not just an expert investor, not just a coach in the probate space, but really an entrepreneur who's taught you know a lot of people how to build businesses. And I think at the end of the day, I don't want to look at my I don't want another job as a real estate agent where I get a commission. I built a business. And uh, that's some of the things, and talking to Sharon and, and looking at her material has helped me refocus my, my goal here. So if you have a question, jump in. Uh, I see a hand raised. I'll scroll up. Hello.
2: Hello. How are you doing? Hey, uh, Angelica,
0: how are you doing? Doing well.
2: Thank you. How are you?
0: Great. You have a question for Sharon?
2: Yes. So thank you for your insight as well. When it comes to selling the home, I'm a real estate agent with Keller Williams in New York City, so I am starting to specialize in probate deals, Are there is there a likelihood where the executors or family members may want to back out, even though they were moving ahead with selling? Is there a likelihood of that?
1: Not, not, no, because in the probate process, and uh, Bill knows this, so someone passes away the estate is open, and then the assets can be sold. Um, So they have to be sold if the house is in probate, and the house has either been directly is being inherited, like Bill's wife is inheriting the house, if he passed away, or I would say, you know, if if you have a survivorship deed or something like that, or it's in a trust, if it if if it's in probate, they're going to have to sell the assets to pay the creditors to, you know, for the heirs to get what they want. So this is not a matter of if they're going to sell it, it's when they're, you know, when they're going to move forward with it.
2: Okay, thank
1: you. Yeah, and I would say typically people
0: go through the trouble of probate because they want to do something with the property. 80% of the time, there's just one asset it's the house. And they're only probating it because they want to sell it. They don't want to sell it, even Mm -hmm. though they should probate it. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they just sit on it for 10 years, and then decide they want to sell it they have to open Mm -hmm. a probate and go through it so generally they're motivated enough to spend some money hire an attorney fill out forms things like that Mm
1: -hmm. yeah they want the money angelica if you look at the, if you look at the heirs let's just be real here you're way up here where they open the estate you know someone passes away they open the estate and then they can sell the assets then they pay the creditors and that's everybody that money is owed to even personal bills uh funeral expenses uh, nursing home built, whatever is there. And way down here at the bottom are those heirs that just want the dang money out of the house. They just want to get it done. So and I mean, that's just the truth of it. They don't want the house in most cases, they want the money. So they're very motivated to sell. Now, occasionally, you'll have to get built noses, I'm sure you'll have to do a little counseling at the kitchen table with the faint with the heirs. Because one is like being unrealistic and one is you know, wants to sell at any cost. And that's where you, I would say, one out of every 50, 75 deals, you have what I call a kitchen table talk where you're going to sit down and figure out where their differences are. And um, it, this might sound weird to you, but really it's not. It's just a conversation. Find out where everybody is and how you can meet in the middle because at the end of the day, you just want to get the listing or the deal. So you're very motivated to help them figure it out. But usually they they're all in agreement. At least in my world, they've already decided, and then it's just whether they're going to list it, and or whether they're whether it's an investor deal. And Bill and I talked about this previously. You can list almost anything on the MLS right now. Let's just face it.
0: I'm Jewish. We call that a come to Jesus meeting,
1: by the way. Come to Jesus. Well, I call them that too. Come to Jesus meeting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and where you have
0: a problem, Angelica, where you have the problem is you have the one heir who doesn't want to, who's living in the house. What commonly happens is mom and dad pass, three kids live in there, two go on and get a good job and go on with their lives, Mm -hmm. and one just doesn't do anything, lives in the house for free, he's on welfare, who knows what other business he's running, and when the other heirs want to sell the property, he's there and doesn't want to inspect, doesn't want to show the property, doesn't want to sell the property, he's living for free. Yeah, mm-hmm. or she. And that's where you have a little bit of a problem and you need to get involved with an attorney or an eviction service or different mm-hmm. things. But generally, uh, somebody cared enough to file a probate, pay for the probate fees, hire an attorney. Mm-hmm. They, they generally are motivated. Hey, Angelica, what part of New York are you in?
2: I'm in New York City. What part? In Brooklyn.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah. yeah t- to school at uh, in New York in um, uh, FIT down in, uh, I guess, in Soho okay. area.
1: Okay. There's something I know about New York, Angelica, in almost every state in the the country, there will be a notice to creditors filed. That's how the creditors learn that someone has passed away. And in my area, it's printed in the newspaper. In Illinois, there's a process for printing it in the newspaper and the creditors have so long to come forward, but I have a student that's in New York and and I learned from uh, this student that in New York there is no notice to creditors. So if the creditors aren't somehow, I guess, monitoring the the obituaries, they don't know they're about to lose whatever they've loaned. It's a, it's a very interesting situation in New York.
2: I've noticed that, well, what I've been seeing in New York is that they have seven months to make that claim. And if they don't so, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. so that makes universal,
0: it. most states have some sort of time limit that creditors mm-hmm. have.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it seems to be about six months nationally that's an average it might be a little bit more a little bit less Um, but it seems to be about six months you know come forward or or forever you know it's gone you're going to lose your money Mm -hmm. thank you thank you You, thank
0: you other questions comments uh uh, stories you want to tell about a property more harrowing
1: One thing I would mention about the course is we have a private Facebook group. So, what I see with courses is that people uh, buy courses and then uh, I like to say they get dropped like a hot potato. <laughs> so, we'll resume having some calls about the probate course after uh, the first of the year. That's not something you'll find with me. I don't do that. And what I work on too is helping you build a real business, How, you know. Tell you where you can get a done for you website. All the tools that you need, like direct mail, CRMs, things like that. If you if you need those things, you, some people don't.
0: Very good. Okay. Other questions, comments in the chat box. Here we got one from Isabel. Um, what field of not probate would you recommend for someone just starting real estate? What qualities or red flags to look for when finding a real estate agent? So let me take a shot at this one, Sharon. Then ask you for your input. So I get, so she's asking, I'm starting real estate and probate may not be the right fit. And I tell agents, unless you have some special in, you know, if you're a paralegal or your, your brother's an attorney at a big firm or your parents or something, if you don't have a special in probate probably is more complicated place to start. And you either have to do one of two things. You get to either generate leads or be given leads. Usually given leads means you're on a team. they take a high percentage of your commission (laughs) for you you to generate your own leads by um, some sort of a business marketing and and a business plan Mm -hmm. and being professional about it and it's challenging as a new agent i think to justify the investment of money when you don't know how to convert a lead into a contract and so generally Mm -hmm. i recommend unless you have some other business that you can convert from i had a client who had a tax preparation business with 2000 clients. Well, obviously, if you're 2000 clients, and you're doing their taxes, some of them are buying and selling houses, that's an easy way to convert those buyers into another business. Or if you are ever you are doing you know, you're a nail person or a hair person, and you have a book of clients, well, you can reach out to them and try to find who's looking to buy houses or sell houses. But in general, I would say that your best best to find a methodology where you either convert what you have, or you find a team that's going to give you leads. And uh, then I'd be, uh, be glad to take this offline if you want to, or Isabel, and we could talk about training programs for real estate agents and things like that. Sharon, what, what's your take? New agents um, looking to get started?
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm not an agent. But I would say for a new investor looking to get started, I completely agree with what you said. I always tell them don't quit your day job keep your day job and do investing part-time until you get to where you have replaced yourself or have equaled your salary. It is such a tremendous stress and I'm sure it's the same thing for an agent to go into spending money on systems and leads and all of those things when you haven't generated any money. So I'm a big proponent of, uh, Either having enough money to hold tide you over for six months, nine months, or however long, or doing whatever you're doing, having some kind of a side gig to pay the basic bills. We'll just say that you don't have to stay in your corporate job, but it is just so much pressure to quit 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 your job and suddenly think you're going to be an agent or a successful investor because like. Like you said, Bill, you you need that you need a base, a referral base of some kind.
0: I started in mortgages, and in mortgages you have to do about mm-hmm. three or four times of transactions to make the same money. And working for a mortgage company, you often can get some incoming leads. And when it was time to move over to real estate, I had done thousands of loans, and I converted a percentage of those into buyers and sellers to get started. So I do think it's best if you have another mm-hmm. system to get contacts. Um, I know Nan asked for the contact info. I put it in the chat box, but sharonvornholt.com is her website for entrepreneurship and blog and podcast. And then probateinvestingsimplified.com, probateinvestingsimplified.com is her website. There's her coaching uh, website for probate investors. And we'll put those in the show notes as well.
1: If they have a question, Bill, they can email me too at at sharonvornholt.com. I'll be happy to answer questions.
0: Nice. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, okay. Any other questions, comments, uh, horror stories you want to share with the group uh, in probate? It's funny, in, in, uh, in uh, regular real estate agents, when they get together, they talk about the problems in their files. When probate real estate agents and investors get together, we brag about our problems.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. We're we're kind of weird, weird like that, right?
0: (laughs) I know. I'm so proud of it. I I think I told you the story, Sharon, the other call we did. um, I had an attorney one time and I I asked him, why is it that uh, the property wasn't listed for sale? Certain types of properties have to be listed or advertised to get court approval. And he said the property was in such bad condition that the MLS wouldn't accept it. I started laughing <laughs> and I said, bet i t- better have two worse than that right now. Like <laughs> you don't even know what bad looks like. I, I I you know this attorney, you know, he lives he has the offices in Santa Monica. He's like in his nice little office with his, you know, stylish clothes and all that. You don't even know what bad houses look like until you get in Yeah, movie
1: yeah that's, for, that's for sure. And you get houses with a lot of stuff. <laughs> A lot of stuff. Uh, I told, uh they may not technically be hoarders, they may be keepers. <laughs> They're gonna keep all the butter tubs because you never know when you might need a, a dish to put something in or similar things. But um people are often embarrassed about the pro the condition of the property. And I always just say, look, this is really nothing. Don't worry about it. We've all had aging parents, and it's just the way it is. I mean, they came from a different time, they kept things. Uh, oh. they, they came from a place of lack.
0: Right, well, number one, they came from a place of lack and depression and things like mm-hmm. that. But I think, two, as you get older, it's harder to keep up with maintenance, taking out the trash mm-hmm. and sorting through, and there's a certain amount of brain power it takes to make those decisions to get rid of things. And it's, I know personally, it gets harder to put things away. My daughter, uh, we had our first grandchild. So in preparation, my daughter oh. wanted us to upgrade her house since we remodeled. But she insisted on helping us clean out you know, a lot of stuff. She said, look dad, I don't wanna to have to deal with this. Down the road, let's just clean everything else now. We'll repaint and make it look pretty. So we did that. But it's a lot of work. I think we as you get yeah. older, physically carrying things to the trash can and, and making those
1: difficult. Yeah. I would agree. That's the biggest gift you can give your children uh, is to not not leave that job to them because it's yeah. a massive job. And I will say this, it's the stuff in the house is the number one reason that keeps people from moving forward with the sale of the problem. Of the property, if you can offer to help them with that, that is a a huge bonus for them, yeah. because they they're just overwhelmed by the amount of stuff.
0: Well, especially on COVID, you know, you can't. It's mm-hmm. harder to donate things. Uh, I have vendors who will trash out and donate one uh, eight hundred got junk with all, donate as much as they can in the city of L A. They're required to, but people are embarrassed by how much gets thrown out, and I tell them that's just life today. It's it's just yeah, it is. Um, uh, jesus's Jesus' iPad has a ha- hand up. You got a question? Jesus?
2: Yeah. Uh thanks, Bill. Hey, Sharon, thank you so much for all the information. Um, I've got a kind of question and more like uh maybe advice from someone who who's been in the business and doing this full time. So I do real estate full-time. Um I've been licensed and been doing real estate full-time for about six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to transition more towards. Um, investing, wholesaling type of deal. Um, I do have a couple of investment properties um, myself. I haven't done my own kind of like wholesale or my own uh, flip project, mm-hmm. um, but I want to transition more towards that. I would say that would be my focus 2022. Um, so just kind of see what advice you have for me, What are some of the things that I should do and uh, focus on
1: well keep your day job that's number one keep your day job and then Mm -hmm. you've got to uh, so you can certainly source properties off of the MLS but your biggest source of properties as an investor will be off-market deals Mm -hmm. they are the ones that you know Bill talked about all the agents that all the eyes that are on every deal in the MLS you don't have that with off-market deals Yes, there are other people competing with you, but um, now don't get me wrong. I love agents. I've always worked with agents for the last 30 years, exactly. 1991 to 2021. But I like getting in front of the seller and dealing with that person like an agent would if they Mm -hmm. were going to list the property. See, my best case scenario is to not have an agent in the middle Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: that's where my strength is. And I think for any agent who's used to listing properties, they've already got that skill. Mm -hmm. So you could she should certainly take advantage of your uh, of the MLS. But go over to off market properties, there are absentee owners out of state absentee owners, probates, Mm -hmm. pre foreclosures, there's getting ready to be a huge amount of REOs. I know in Chicago, I was just up there and um, did a, a at a three day conference where I spoke about probates, mm-hmm. they're going to have 1200 REOs in Chicago next month, December. Oh. So there's there's a lot of opportunity in my area code mm-hmm. violations, I worked at, you're not going to get rich off of code violations. But these people, you'll find some crossover with probates and other uh, motivated sellers, they've, they've got this property, mm-hmm. and they've got code violations. but there are a ton of different ways that you can find off market deals. I just happen to love probates, you do have to market you have to have a list for those. Mm-hmm. And you do have to do marketing. But here's here's your the secret is and Bill knows this most people simply won't do it. 90% mm-hmm. of your competition will quit after the first or second mailing. Mm-hmm. So yes, you'll have a competition for that first group of letters, and then you'll have very little uh, competition.
2: Mm-hmm. The, gotcha, the, gotcha.
1: You want to be the so- last man standing
2: so as far as like letters um the information for who you're mailing it to is that something that you purchase or is that something that um how would you get that type of information for you to reach out to some of these probate um sellers
1: where are you where are you located i, I would say that go, go ahead
2: Orange County. California. Oh, okay.
1: Well, I think Bill Bill is it can tell you how you get those leads in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are online sources. If you're in Louisville, Kentucky, your source is going to be the newspaper. So gotcha. wherever you are, Google, the word probate, the plus sign in your county, Google probate, the plus sign in your city and see what pops up. Um, I had a student in Harris County, Texas. So we just Googled Harris County plus probate. And that guess what, they were all online. In many really? areas, uh, Fort Lauderdale, you're going to have to go to the courthouse. But I think in your area, uh, it's my understanding there are sources for online, um, getting the leads online, but Bill is the person who could advise you on that. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, we're in a very competitive probate market for mm-hmm. data. So whereas some counties have zero you know, sources or maybe one, you have probably about 10 to choose from go to my website thelaprobateexpert.com on the far right i have probate resources and i actually have a a link to various all the data services i'm aware of and a couple of videos i interviewed some of them on prior episodes i would say that the, the range would be the cheapest might be foreclosures daily it does probate data uh, and the most expensive and highest quality would be alltheleads.com. And they do a very detailed training. Coaching, Here,
1: here's the thing depending on where you are, if I'm in a city where they don't have those open APIs, so that the information literally can't be pulled uh, like a company like All the Leads can't, they don't have the physical ability to pull the leads. So if you've got that ability, yes, you've got more competition because it's easier. Mm -hmm. But, but the money is in the follow up. The money is always in the follow up. So as you know, this 80% of your deals as an investor will come from follow up. And some of those will be after the person has told you, no, Mm -hmm. you just got to keep following up. So once you understand how this works, you see the big landscape of things. Um, As far as getting the data, let me go back to that. There are over 3,300 counties in the U.S. and each one of them has a different system. So that's why I wish I could say there's this one clearinghouse. It's like the MLS. The MLS is the MLS. We don't have that for probates. But if you have to do a little digging to find out where to get the leads, guess what? Most people aren't going to do it most people you have a lot of competition bill obviously has a system down for marketing so he's he's successful most people are going to send out a letter or two or three and they're just going to say forget it i'm not going mm-hmm. to do this anymore so where with the way i approached investing was i was always looking forward with my plan and see, I'm, I'm a, mon- a minority. There were very, very few women in real estate in 1998. I mean, today, there's still shockingly less women than men. But I couldn't focus on that. I just had my path laid out in front of me. My plan much Bill talked about his five year plan. Be aware of your competition over here. But focus on being the best focus on being the expert and on your brand, focus on your brand, make the videos, get out of your comfort zone, because you simply can't be the best kept secret in town and build a business. You can't, you've got to figure out how you're going to show up. And there are many ways. I know someone that built a very good brand, totally on Facebook, with still pictures of ugly houses. (laughs) I mean, but he became known as one of the ugly house guys but they knew he was a bona fide investor because he was always out there finding the deals but um, there are, you know i have agents that have taken my course some of them have gone over to the investor side some of them never intended to be an investor they simply used it to niche down their brand as far as an agent goes you know i'm an agent in a sea of a million agents but i'm i focus you know my expertise is in probates and this and this So that's would be my advice to everybody on here. You're unique in some way and just own your weirdness. I mean, (laughs) own it and really not not bad weird, but just be yourself, be yourself Mm -hmm. and you will attract the people that are meant to work with you. And those that are not are somehow turned off by you just God bless them. And they're meant for someone else. And really, that's the way it works.
0: I couldn't agree more be authentically you. People who Mm -hmm. want to work with you will work with you and people
1: who don't won't.
0: As long as they get sorted out that way, you'll be in good shape. (laughs)
1: Thank (laughs) you.
0: We have a couple other questions we're not going to get to today because we're really up at the end of our time and I I really appreciate Sharon. You really unlocked a lot of questions. Those of you who have questions, we'll deal with some of them in the chat box uh, or in the the comment section as well. Or feel free if you want to see the episode, put your questions there and I'll copy the answers that I have or ask Sharon for an answer in some of the cases. Um, I just want to, again, um, first off, point out, if you want to get a hold of her, Sharon at SharonVornholt.com, S-H-A-R-O-N-V-O-R-N-H-O-L-T.com. And then she has her website, SharonVornholt.com, as well as her probate Investing simplified.com, which is a probate-focused coaching program for investors, people who are serious, people who are, um, you know, involved in it, not brand new, but looking to build their business and to move to another level. So Sharon, again, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure, as always, uh, speaking with you and learning from you and sharing with you what goes on in investing and probate and real estate. Thank you so much for being on the call with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and thanks to everyone that came out tonight. Well, for me, it's tonight. It's eight o'clock.
0: Well, it's five o'clock here, so we're getting close (laughs) to tonight. Hey, one last thing real quick I just want to share with you guys, if you're here in L.A., we do have, um, going on in about an hour, the L.A. Real Estate Investors Club. It's at the... um, at UCLA at Ackerman Hall. It's free. Uh, there'll be about 250 attendees and about 70 vendors. You can meet people with data and have different source services. Uh, that's um, Lloyd Siegel, organizes the LA Real Estate Investor Club. Uh, Sharon mentioned at the beginning how she started her journey through ARIA, Real Estate Investors Association. This mm-hmm. is kind of a variation on that same concept. Great place for new people to meet, coaches, services, systems, mentors, people who can help you get on your, your career. So again, Thank you so much. Bill Gross, this is probateweekly.com. It'll be Thursday, four p.m. No, Pacific, you seven p.m.
2: one more time, the information on that event coming up with the real estate investors. Not the RIA, but the first one they with all the vendors.
0: Uh, L-A-R-E-I-C.com, oh. LAREC.com, oh. L-A-R-E-I-C.com. A real estate Laric. L A R I C dot And no that's tonight got... at oh. six thirty, an hour and Perfect. a half here in LA at UCLA. So again, thank Perfect. you so much. Thursdays, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And we're also at probateweekly.com. You can see the past episodes at episodes.com. I'm Bill Gross, Bill Gross EXP. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody. Really appreciate it.